by Caramba, the week of October 22nd through 28th, 2023. Plenty of movies and TV shows portray a future of space travel when going to other stars might take a few days or maybe even just a few hours. As their vessels move through space, stars streak by on the screen. I wonder just how fast we'd have to go for that to be real. Let's acknowledge first that we don't know of anything that actually goes faster than light, and that speed is 299,792,000 458 meters per second. At that speed, it takes a little over eight minutes for light leaving the sun to reach Earth. It takes four hours for the sun's light to reach Neptune. And when you hear of star distances measured in light years, that number is literally how many years it takes for light from those stars to reach us, or for any light from our solar system to reach them. Incidentally, radio waves and visible light are different wavelengths of the same form of energy. So, radio waves also travel at the speed of light. Any communication via radio waves between us and beings on distant worlds will happen at the speed of light. So think about the Alpha Centauri system, the closest star system to us, about four and a third light years away. At light speed, the Robinson family on Lost in Space would have needed that long to get there and that long to get back. Their original mission was supposed to take five and a half years one way. They'd have to go about 80% of the speed of light. At that speed, planets would whiz by your spacecraft, but the stars wouldn't seem to move. The stars are just too far apart. There's too much space in space for the stars to just whiz by at light speed or anything near light speed. Now, I'm not qualified to say just what it would look like even if you can go near light speed. The Doppler shift should make the wavelengths we ordinarily see invisible. Things you're heading toward would get a sharp blue shift, so things deep in the infrared would become visible. Things you're heading away from would get a sharp red shift, things way up in the ultraviolet would be seen. But your experience of time would change too, and that might affect which wavelengths your eyes see. If you try to use Star Trek's warp speed as a reference to how fast those uh, starships travel in that show, you're going to get confused. It changes throughout the various series and movies. Generally, warp 1 is supposed to be exactly the speed of light. But is warp 2 twice the speed of light? The Star Trek Encyclopedia says it's 10 times light speed, but warp 3 is 39 times light speed. 100 times is slightly less than warp 4. Warp 10 is supposed to be infinitely fast, so you'd be everywhere all at once. Never mind the episodes where some ship travels faster than that. Let's not pretend that there's any mathematics to really understand, though, there. Whatever number is used in any given episode or movie is a function of what the writers thought sounded impressive enough for the story and production at the moment, rather than a function of any calculus equation. But we can consider 10 times the speed of light. Even at that speed, it would take more than five months to reach the Alpha Centauri system, about 10 months to reach Sirius, and about 44 years to reach the Pleiades cluster. The stars are still barely moving in the view. 
If you want to see nearby stars zoom by, you need to go about one light year every few seconds. With about 31.5 million seconds in one year, one light year per second works out to be 31.5 million times the speed of light. Now you're starting to experience stars within a few hundred light years distance, moving, obviously. Even so, it's not really fast like in some of those sci-fi scenes. So consider 100 or more light years per second. Now they're whizzing by. At 100 light years per second, it'll take a little less than 17 minutes to cross the entire galaxy. At that speed, the estimated time of arrival for the Andromeda galaxy is 7 hours. Bon voyage! You can see what these speeds look like, Doppler shifts notwithstanding, in a free software program called Celestia that's spelled C-E-L-E-S-T-I-A. It lets you simulate travel throughout the solar system. You can maneuver around the International Space Station, ride Saturn's rings like they're a racetrack, and visit thousands of other stars. You can even sort of check out other galaxies. This week starts with the first quarter moon. The moon passes south of Saturn on Tuesday. See them together later on Tuesday evening and into Wednesday morning. The moon's at perigee on Thursday at 364,900 kilometers from the sun. The moon's also going north over the equator that day. And when the moon is full on Saturday, we get a partial lunar eclipse. All of the eclipse will be visible from almost all of Africa, Europe, and most of Asia. About two-thirds of South America, the eastern United States, and eastern and northern parts of Canada, and most of the Atlantic Ocean get a moonrise event. The moon's setting during eclipse in Australia, far eastern Asia, and western Alaska. The hard-to-see penumbral phase starts at 1802 Universal Time. Partial phase starts at 1935. Maximum eclipse is at 2014. Partial phase ends at 2053, and the penumbral phase ends at 2226. Unlike a solar eclipse, it's perfectly safe to look at a lunar eclipse with the naked eye, through binoculars, or using a telescope without any filter. Now, although the moonlight isn't damagingly bright in a telescope, it can be uncomfortably bright, so many astronomers do use filters that dim the view a little. If you don't have one, you can squint. Just remember, that's not going to be good enough for viewing the sun. Don't even try that with a telescope without a filter. Venus is at greatest elongation on Monday. It's 46.4 degrees from the sun in the morning sky. Above it, you'll find Leo the lion. And we start the week coming off the peak for the Orionid meteor shower. This shower has a broad peak, so you may still spot meteors for a few weeks. It does get harder, though, the closer the moon is to full. The moon will pass by Jupiter this coming weekend, and next week Mars and Mercury will be close together in an unseen conjunction. They're both too close to the sun for us to observe it. Some people will get to see the moon pass over the Pleiades next week, and the moon will reach its farthest north, Jupiter reaches opposition, and Saturn holds still. Sky Caramba 